Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Father Andrew Mattingly. I am a Catholic priest in Kansas City, Missouri, and this is a podcast where I post homilies and random other stuff that I might teach or speak about. Hope you find something useful and maybe even inspiring. God bless you. St. Paul in the second reading today, uh, which is to the Thessalonians, tells them in the beginning that there's three things that as believers they need to be doing or at least to have the disposition of uh, constantly, which is a can seem like a bit of an ambitious ask that he's making of believers. He says, number one, that we have to rejoice always, not three hours a day or 80% of the time, but as believers we have to be rejoicing always. He also says that we have to be praying without ceasing, and then he also says that we have to be giving thanks in every circumstance. So praying, a spirit of gratitude, and rejoicing all the time. These are sort of, if you want a blueprint for what it looks like (laughs) to kind of live out the Christian life to the full, to some degree you can take those three things and sort of put them on your wall and and have that as as kind of your goal for your daily life. Uh, Today I'm only going to focus on the first one of those, which is Paul's command to rejoice always. Um, Today, obviously, is the third Sunday of Advent, known as Gaudete Sunday, which is the Latin sort of command form for rejoice. Gaudete is what you'd say if you're, like, commanding a group of people to rejoice. Like, if you really want them to celebrate, you say Gaudete, right? It's it's a command. So, So today, the church is kind of commanding us, in a sense, to rejoice. Uh, And so I want to focus on St. Paul's uh, instruction here to rejoice, not just at certain times, but always. Rejoice always. I think as we ponder this particular command or instruction, an initial obvious question that we might ask is, how is this possible? And also, how is this even appropriate? Right? We might ask St. Paul in return, like, really, you want me to be rejoicing at my mom's funeral? Right? <laughs> that doesn't seem to make any sense. How, how is it possible to rejoice always when clearly there are circumstances of life that call for other dispositions like sorrow? Right? How are we supposed to rejoice always? Is, is Paul speaking figuratively? Or, or does he actually mean this? And if so... How do we understand it? I would say two things. Number one, he is speaking literally. And the only way that that then becomes possible to rejoice always is if we understand something important about the way the human soul works. Right? Our soul is capable in any given moment of having two different simultaneous dispositions. Thomas Aquinas gives the example of joy and sorrow. He says that at one and the same time, it's possible to be sorrowful about this one thing over here, and for the soul, in the exact same moment, to be rejoicing about this different thing over here. 
our soul is capable of having multiple dispositions at once, right? And, and one example of this is sorrow and joy. Now, our ability, whenever we're going through adverse circumstances that would prompt our soul to not be, to not just sort of spontaneously rejoice, right? You know, some circumstance that causes us to want to, you know, sadness or anguish or distress or fill in the blank, our ability to simultaneously rejoice about something else is going to be dependent upon how deep our supernatural perspective is, right? Seeing things from God's vantage point is absolutely critical to the Christian life, and it is the only way that even in very adverse circumstances, I'm going to be able to identify something over here that is a cause for joy, that is a cause for rejoicing, right? So our ability to rejoice always is going to depend on how good we are, how deep our perspective is, to be able to identify some other thing that's going to be a cause for, for joy, right? And the thing that's going to cause us to be joyful, even in an adverse circumstance, is going to be some sort of rock-solid, unchanging truth of the faith. So the, the more we have kind of a, a, a running tally, if you will, of rock-solid truths of the faith that we can then turn to and allow to cause us to rejoice, the more we're going to be able to fulfill this command to rejoice always. What are some examples? Well, take somebody who's in chronic physical pain. It's going to be rather difficult for a person in that situation to be constantly rejoicing. Just at face value, chronic pain is not fun. I have never experienced it myself, but 10 minutes of serious pain for me and I'm just like crumpled up like a little ball and I'm not thinking about rejoicing. I guarantee you that. Uh, people I meet who have real chronic pain, like it is uh, something that stirs my compassion in a particular way. Um, but it is possible for somebody in that circumstance to be rejoicing continually, even in the midst of chronic physical pain. How is that possible? Well, one part of their soul is kind of in distress and anguish over the pain, but another part of their soul simultaneously could be focused, for example, on the fact that this body that feels like it's falling into pieces is one day going to be resurrected as a glorious body. It's going to be way better than the body we have right now. It's going to have agility, and just like Jesus' body after the resurrection, it can walk through walls, it can, you know, it's not bound by space and time. Like When our bodies are resurrected at the end of time, it is going to be sweet. <laughs> it is going to be awesome. Right? And so... Somebody in chronic physical pain where their body is just constantly breaking down, that is a truth that they could look to to be a cause to help them rejoice, even though the, the physical pain is simultaneously causing them distress and anguish. Another unchanging rock-solid truth of the faith that could help them rejoice in that moment is to remind themselves of the power that is 
uh, held within the offering up of suffering with love. Right? If they cling to that, that if every five seconds I can offer this chronic pain for the good of some soul, right? if they can cling to that truth, it's going to be possible for them to rejoice rather consistently even in the midst of, of something as terrible as chronic pain. What's another example? Well, let's say that you commit some sort of serious sin. God willing, if your conscience is well-formed and in a good place, that's going to produce some sorrow within your soul. All right? I hope it produces sorrow. <laughs> sorrow that you've, you've hurt Jesus. Right? Uh, the one who loves you more than anything. So we commit sin, and we have this sorrow that we're experiencing in our soul. How is it possible to be rejoicing at the same time? Well, somebody could call to mind in the very same moment that they're sorry for having hurt the Lord, they may call to mind the image of Him waiting for them in the confessional, with open arms and with a smile on his face because he wants to all he wants is to bestow on them his mercy right so if you find yourself in that situation it is possible to simultaneously be deeply sorry for what you've done to the lord while another part of your soul is over here rejoicing because you know how anxiously he's waiting for you in that sacrament to show you mercy. Our souls are fascinating things, you know, to be able to, to hold multiple objects together at, at one and the same time. Or to give a, a last example, sort of an extreme one, you know, you can imagine yourself living during the time of World War II and you're hauled off to a concentration camp and you're 98% sure that you're going to die. Uh, well, you can simultaneously obviously have a sorrow at the loss of all your material goods, the loss of any semblance of kind of, you know, cleanliness, and the list would be, would be endless. But at the same time, you could rejoice over the fact that while everything else may have been stripped away from you in life, they can never strip away your faith. It's untouchable. Your soul is the sanctuary that only you have power over it. And as long as you never give it up, they can't touch it. So you might cling to that truth that, that well, they've taken everything, they, my possessions, my family, my clothing, it's all gone. I'm here starving. But they haven't touched my soul. My, my soul is still in union with the God of the universe. And if I have Him, I have everything. Right? And that could be, become a cause for intense rejoicing, even in a place as bleak as, as a concentration camp. So, on this Gaudete Sunday, when we're commanded to uh, not just rejoice sometimes, but to rejoice always, uh, just want to give all of you some encouragement and maybe some images of what it looks like to actually live that out. Uh, it takes practice. 
nobody's going to wake up tomorrow and just be 100% successful at, <laughs> you know, practicing this all day. Uh, but we take baby steps, and the Lord helps us um, to develop the, this supernatural perspective in our soul uh, so that we can really live out this, this absolutely critical component of the Christian life, uh, which is joy.